Jonah 1, 11 through 16. We're finally finishing up that first chapter. Are there more lights to be had up here? Are they kind of dim or is it just I'm kind of dim? That's it? That's all of them? It helped me in my partial blindness. I'm just casting a big shadow on my Bible. We're finishing up the chapter. Uh, Jonah is, we're, we're getting to the good part, right? The part everybody knows, the fish. Um, uh, we'll, we're, we're getting there, but uh, not tonight. We're going to stop right before we get to it. 11 through 16, thank you, that's much better. I can more better see what I'm doing now. Verse 11, so they said to him, what should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? The sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, so may it may quiet down for you, for I know that I am to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. All right, so just quickly catch us up. They uh, cast lots. They had a prayer meeting. They cast lots. They know what the problem is, and uh, that's where we got to last week. They know who's sinking the ship. We often do. And so they know... What they think they know what needs to be done, they're not real sure. They're in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the sea, so they ask Jonah, right? And that's where we are. Verse 11, what should we do? They expect the man of God to know what they are supposed to do uh, with God. Uh, that's, that's what they expect, right? They, they, you're, you're the cause. You're the man of God. What should we do to make him happy? And that's a... Probably a good good plan, good place to go, somewhere to to uh, you know find information. Unfortunately, uh, they didn't like his answer. They didn't like the the solution to the problem, so they uh, said, "We don't we don't like that idea." They go to him even though he's shown them nothing, right? Even though he has not shown them that he is following God at all, they understand that's what he should have the answer. There's an application here for us. When God acts in the life of your unbelieving friends or family or acquaintances, they should be able to come to you and say, what is God doing? You should be able to recognize God's hand in what's going on. That is a legitimate question. That's that's not something just for the preacher. That's that's something for every Christian to be able to say, I see what God's doing here. Let me let me talk to you about it. That's what the guys do. They go to Jonah, what should we do? And he says in verse twelve, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Actually, hurl me into the sea, right? This is another Word, use of the word hurl. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That uh, they, uh, he, the, 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 the God hurled the storm and the, uh, the, the ship was, 
was hurled by the wind. And, and just using this language over and over and over as just good, good writing in Hebrew. We, we, again, we lose it in English sometimes. Why didn't he just jump? I mean, that's, that's, the next, that's the question I have. Why didn't he just jump? Why did he require them to, to throw him in? Um, if you're expecting the answer to be right after that, you're, you're not going to get it. I don't know why. I, I, just, I just wonder why he, he made them do it. Uh, when he knew he was the problem and he wouldn't just jump. Yeah, he made them do it. What, what we have here, his response, and I think this does answer the question partly, it was con- his conscience that made him say it was me. It was not compassion. In this instance, particularly, that's, there's a difference. It was his conscience saying, I know I have done the wrong thing. I know I have sinned here. But I think he was fine. If, if they don't throw me in and the whole boat goes down, that's fine with me. I'll wreck the whole boat to keep from saving these people he doesn't really care about. See, Jonah has completely given up at this point. He, he's not out to, to, to fix himself. He, he doesn't care that he is wrecking this entire ship and taking not countless lives. In, these, in this case, he knows how many lives he's taken with him. He's like, you know, you know to, if you want to calm the storm, you've got to throw me in. But I'm not jumping. There's no compassion for these people. And, and that shouldn't be surprising, right? Because he had no compassion for Nineveh. The reason he's running from Nineveh to begin with is because he had no compassion on these people who were going to die and spend a godless eternity uh, away, uh, a godless eternity in death. So he's not, he's not concerned about these other people. He's given up. He knows he's the problem. Uh, but you're going to have to get rid of him yourself, he says. See, there's no repentance here on his part. It's just resignation. This is what's going to happen. And I think it's important we see this from Jonah at, at, at this stage in, in the story. Um, he, he does change. Now, if you want to read ahead and read chapter 2 and read his prayer, there is some repentance to be found. But at this point, he is not turning back to God. He's not turning away from what he has been doing. He's just saying, yep, I'm the cause. Hold your nose. It's sad, right? Sad that he so is so concerned only about himself that, that he has no concern for anybody else, has, has so given in to the fact, well, I'm, I'm, you know, it's all about me, that he's not considering the other people involved. See, at this point, God's discipline isn't there just to get rid of you. In this case, Jonah. But when God is disciplining you in your life, when you experience discipline from the hand of God, it's not to get rid of you, but to change you. I wonder what would have happened if Jonah had truly repented at this point. You know, something, some crying out, I'm sorry, Lord, I ran from you. I'm sorry I have caused this for these people. I repent of my sins. Save me and them too. Would the storm have stopped? I don't know. But I know that God's discipline as it's about to say on the screen, is not there to get rid of you, but to change you. 
We often think God's just after me. He just wants to strike me down. That's not the case. God wants to change us to make us better, to make us more into men and women of Christ than we have been. So the men, as I said, they don't, they don't like this idea. Uh, in, in verse 13, I believe is where I am. Uh, nevertheless, it says, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. The men rode, it says. They, they fought. See, look at the comparison. The pagans had the compassion. Jonah, the man of God, did not. The pagans were more concerned about Jonah's life than Jonah was concerned about the pagans' lives. The word there is in in rowing hard. It says they dug into the water. They were getting after it. They were pulling hard on that boat. I guess it would have been more of this thing because they had kind of been in a galley. They weren't on a canoe. Uh, They would have been doing this thing. They were doing everything they could. Remember, these are not amateurs. It's not like me being out on the sea. These guys knew what they were doing. They pulled hard. They dug into the water. And the only thing that happened, verse 12, tells us that the sea was raging against them more and more. The storm kicked higher. See, God had his plan for Jonah. God God was never confused about what Jonah's response was going to be to his sinfulness. God knew that Jonah was about to take take a swim. And so, he had his plan for Jonah. It would not be stopped by rebellion on the part of Jonah or compassion on the part of the pagans. It did not matter what they decided, what they liked or didn't like. God's plan saw its fulfillment, regardless of what they did. See, our solutions to sin don't work, and I I think that's what we see here in this passage. I I have a way to fix my own sin. Well, that, that might be nice, but that may not and probably isn't God's way to fix my sin. In the NCAA, um, and since I brought it up, just a moment of silence for Les Miles. That and Cam Cameron, that's true. But in the NCAA, you have the option, and it's not really an option. If you catch your coaches doing something illegal, with students, paying students whatever, and the school says, hey, we found this, so we're going to impose sanctions on ourselves. You can do that. And the NCAA just might say, okay, your sanctions are good. But most of the time, the NCAA says, that's a good start. We are kind of like the college sometimes, I think most of the time, in dealing with our own sin. Okay, God, I'll take care of it, but I'm just going to take care of it this way. And God says, you know, that's a good start. But I, we have bigger issues than just that. It's not that you committed the sin. It's a heart issue that you have about your sin. And that's something we need to address. He, he becomes the, uh, the NCAA coming in and saying, your sanctions are nice, but we're going to impose a few more. Remember, God, he's not there to, to discipline us, to, to get rid of us, but to change us. And our solutions to our sinfulness generally just try to cover it up, gloss over it. You know, I'm a horrible sheetrock person. I I just don't do well with floating sheetrock or fixing holes. 
But what I learned a long time ago is if I have a big hole in the sheetrock and I tried it, and I've tried, you know, three, four jars of spackle and, and, and trying to smooth it and get it. And every time I smooth it, it presses in. So I'm a little easier and it sucks it out when it touches the knife and, and I go back and forth for a while. Well, what, what really needs to happen, and, and, and I don't do it because I know how horrible I am, it, you have to cut it out pretty much from, uh, from, uh, Stud, thank you. Stud to stud, and, and, and then cut a piece that matches, nail, and then float that in, and then you can take care of the hole. I try to fix the hole. Well, there's a greater issue. We try to fix the hole in our sin, and God says there's a greater issue. There's much more here than just this one instance, this one problem. And the guys knew that. The pagans understood that. They, they, they knew that they were about to have some issues. So in verse... Uh, 14, it says that they cried out, they called out to God, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you please. Something you need to notice here, Yahweh, uh, rather, Jonah has yet to pray. To our knowledge... As the story is recounted, Jonah has yet to pray. Not in fear, not in concern, not looking for direction. Well, he knows the direction, right? He knows what he's... So so we wouldn't expect that, but we would expect maybe some response from this guy who is called a man of God to say, you know what, I have caused some great issues here, and I need to cry out to God on behalf of myself and the people that I have affected neg- affected negatively And he doesn't. Jonah has not prayed. The pagans pray to God. And they pray three different things. There there are three prayers. First one is, they say, Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. See, they fear God's vengeance. Again, they recognize this man as a man of God. So they aren't going to do anything, even though he has, you know, the, the sea has confessed to what... Uh, what Jonah has done and Jonah has confessed to what Jonah has done they are still hesitant to do what is clearly the only option they have in order to fix the problem so they fear God's vengeance Lord Yahweh really this is hard I don't want to do this this is you know he seems like a nice guy I don't want to we don't want to throw him over but Clearly, that's what we have to do. Don't let us perish because of this man's sin. They fear somehow that God will take revenge on them. The second prayer is that they say, don't charge us with innocent blood. See, there had been no trial. And even they understood without a trial, without a conviction, it's difficult. Well, it's supposed to be impossible to carry out a death sentence like this. They understood that, that we can't carry out this death sentence without, we, we, we've had no witnesses, nothing. It's just the sea and Lot's and his confession. That's really just not enough for us to throw this man overboard. So Yahweh, please, please don't charge us with innocent blood in the chance that this guy's innocent. Now, we all know he wasn't. He was completely guilty. But they still were, were covering themselves. And then lastly, their prayer, Yahweh, uh, you, Yahweh, have done 
just as you please. They recognize God's power and sovereignty. God, you you have brought about this event the way you intended for it to come about. And and this was not what we had planned, the, the sailors are saying. Clearly, uh, they don't want a storm because very likely, well, sailors didn't sail if it was the stormy season. They wouldn't have gotten out on the water if it had looked like that there was going to be a possibility of a storm. Everything was fine when they left the port. But once they got out in the middle of the ocean, the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and the sinfulness of this one man on, on board was brought to bear or was, I would hate to say, found out by God because it wasn't found out. The moment that God decided, okay, the judgment is here, this storm showed up. So these guys knew this is a powerful God which with, with which we are dealing He has power over the oceans. He has power over the wind, the storms. But he's also sovereign. He knows everything. So they're saying, God, this is what you've planned. Then we're going with it. And we're going to do what clearly has to be done, even though for them it was very painful. Verse 15 Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. That shouldn't say cried out to Yahweh there, verse 15. I messed that up. Jonah was hurled into the sea. Here's that that instance of the word hurled again. And then when he hits the water, and I wonder, you know, if you look online, you can see all these, you can see pictures of, uh, that were taken at just the right moment. And there's, there's one in particular that comes to mind, uh, that the, the guy, the teenager has jumped into a swimming pool and they were able to snap it as his feet touched the surface of the water. And it was a high speed film. So, I mean, it looks like he's just standing there on the water. It's a great, great moment. And, and, and they, they waited until the pool was smooth. So it makes even be- an even better picture. I wonder if, if that's how it happened. I mean, as soon as whatever part of Jonah hit the water first, as soon as he touched it, did he go whoosh? I like to think so. I mean, it, it's not spiritual or anything. I just think it'd be really cool for that to have happened that way. But regardless of how it happens, the sea is obedient. The sailors were obedient. The sea now is obedient. The pagans, I just said it, are again obedient. And Jonah doesn't seem to have learned anything. At this point, he will. But at this point, he's just ready to drown. That's all he's looking for. Let me go under. Let this be over with. Well, that wasn't the plan. And we'll see that next week. Verse 16. The men feared the Lord even more. (laughs) Remember how I talked about last week, how they feared a fear? They were terrified. Well, as scared as they were, they fear him even more at this point. And wouldn't you? I mean, I asked this question this morning. When, when When you see the wrath of God, isn't the correct response? How many of you know the correct response is fear? Well, these guys, they, they saw the wrath of God, this hurled storm on their sea, on their ocean, thrown at the, the boat. 
And they feared a great fear. But even more incredible was when they were obedient, God did something they couldn't imagine. It's one thing to have a freak storm in the middle of the sailing season. It's another thing for when the man's big toe hits the water for it to just calm. And that's what they see. As soon as the the sinful person, as soon as the cancer on that boat was thrown over, it calmed. You know, what went through these guys' heads? Clearly, God's awesomeness should always cause our awe-inspiring fear. That's what we see. The fact that he did this, this is an incredible God we serve. Well, they wouldn't have said we serve. But this is an incredible God that this guy served. That guy served. Wow. Jonah... I mean, I feel feel sorry for him. He knew this God already. He knew how awesome this God was. He didn't need the, 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 the storm in the middle of the sailing season. He didn't need it to calm as soon as he hit the water to know how awesome God was. Jonah knew all the stories. He knew about the Red Sea. He knew about the Jordan. He knew about the sun standing still in the sky for Joshua. He knew about taking the promised land. He knew about Abraham almost sacrificing uh, Isaac. He knew about all these things. He knew about the exodus. He knew about the plagues. He knew about uh, Pharaoh. He knew all those stories. And he had lost his awe of God. And had focused on himself. Pure and simple. And certainly taken his eye off the vision that God had given This new vision that they had that we'll talk about here in just a minute. The sailors in verse 16, the men feared the Lord even more. They no longer fear for their lives. Let's not be confused about this fear. They were terrified of the storm. They were extremely terrified when they knew the storm was caused by God and the cause for the storm was on the boat with them. But they were supremely terrified when they saw what God could do with the storm. What God could do when he stepped into people's lives. They no longer feared for their lives. They were just encountering the power of God. And they didn't know how to handle it. And their lives were forever changed. It says they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We don't know exactly what that means. We don't hear from these guys to our knowledge ever again. Uh, it could be that they were saved. And I'm, I'm using... New Testament terminology for an Old Testament situation. I understand that, but just go with me. It could be that when they they made vows, they they couldn't sacrifice, right? No animals probably. Uh, It wasn't common that you took uh, live animals on a boat trip like this. Of course, the boat was pretty wet, so they could have made a fire if they wanted to, but they probably didn't do that either just in case. So we don't think that they made a big bonfire sacrifice, but they sacrificed and made vows. So it could be that when they got home, back to Joppa, because I'm thinking they they may not have gone to Tarshish at this point. Folks, we got to get home. Um, our, our trip's done now. Uh, he paid, but he's not here, so we don't have to go. They went home. Maybe when they got home, they became God followers. 
Maybe they trusted the promise of the Messiah the same way we trust the promise of the Messiah. We look back, they look forward. I don't know, I like to think that about them, but we don't know that. But we do know that their lives were changed. They had a new understanding of Yahweh. They had a new respect for Yahweh. They had a new uh, relationship with Yahweh that very certainly should have brought them into God's people. God's called out people. I hope and I pray that it did. Just for their sakes. Our, our, our lesson for tonight is that God even uses, uses disobedience. Isn't that a great lesson? God uses even disobedience, and it's often to do what we don't want him to do, or what we don't want to do ourselves. We see it over and over. Folks in the Bible think they're going to thwart God's plan, they're going to uh, do something different, and God uses that disobedience to bring about his very plan anyway. Uh, maybe the, the best example we have is uh, Herod, going to kill all the, the, kids, the, the kids two and under in Bethlehem. That was the plan. Oh, I'm going to fix this Messiah thing. We're going to squash it. So he goes and he kills all the kids in Bethlehem. Well, all he did was fulfill a prophecy of the weeping in Ramah, Rachel crying for her children. And, and what that did was push Jesus and his family into Egypt. So the next prophecy that could be fulfilled was, and I, out of Egypt I called my son. And Jesus comes out of Egypt. Herod had his idea of how he was going to stop God's plan, and it didn't work. Jonah had his idea of how he was going to stop God's plan, and it didn't work. Because Jonah was not interested in God's plan, particularly in this case of grace for pagans. Remember we talked about that a few Sundays back. That it wasn't just that Jonah didn't want to go to Tarshish. Uh, go to uh, Nineveh, rather. Uh, he didn't like the Ninevites. There was a certain fe- amount of fear there. But it was very likely that Jonah's issue was that God was going to do something that he had not done before in the lives of not just Jonah and the other prophets, but of Israel, the church at the time. And Jonah wasn't having any of that. That's not the way we've always done it, God. He wasn't interested in God's plan. So he made his attempt to thwart it, and God did what he wanted to anyway. Imagine, if you will, what God can do with obedience. If God can do this with disobedience, fish swallowing a human, and and Nineveh getting saved, and maybe even the, the guys on this boat getting saved, imagine what he can do with an obedient Jonah. That went to Nineveh in the first place. Went with joy to Nineveh. On the way to Nineveh told other cities that he had to pass through and stay in about the coming judgment. And maybe reaching cities all across Assyria and northern Israel. What could God do with obedience rather than disobedience? The pagans recognize that God can use even our disobedience. But I would ask what, a, what God can do with a church that is obedient to him. Oh, he can use anybody. He can use anything. How wonderful to be a part of what God is doing 
to join him joyfully, willingly, in reaching the lost, in reaching our community. What could God do with our obedience? That's our question tonight. Let's pray. Father, Lord, what could you do with our obedience? God, what if we listened to you? What if we heard your call? Heard your command? And we were obedient to that. 